Well, this is lesson five, wisdom and regrets from spirit-filled parents. Uh, When we started planning this series of lessons probably about a year ago, I put out an all call to any parent with grown children if they'd be willing to share wisdom or even regrets where they've missed it, uh, raising their child or children in Pentecost, raising them in the house of God. And so a lot of folks very graciously just started emailing me stuff. And then I've also collected stuff from pastors with grown children. And I've also collected stuff from pastors who have prodigals. Because I want to know, how did you fail? And I've asked them that point blank. Where did you go wrong? Uh, you, are, you pastored, you raised your kids under the pews. Where did you go wrong? And I was so honored that they would confide and tell me, this is what we did wrong. Uh, one, one dear friends of ours, uh, they have three or four kids that are all grown. One of their kids is just a total prodigal. Absolute, total, almost Christ-denying prodigal. But they, the rest of the kids are still serving in the ministry. So this is the kind of wisdom that's in this lesson. And I've kept it all anonymous just for the sake of protecting people. And when your, chil- when your children grow up to, to rebel against God, it can break your heart. It can absolutely crush you and it can beat you up. And that's why we say there's no condemnation, no, no remorse here, no shame. Uh, but let's, you know, your job is done. They chose what they wanted to choose. You keep praying for them, of course, but don't be too ashamed to not share it with us because you don't want somebody else to go through the same pain you've been through. But on top of that, there's been some also some good points of wisdom in here. So we're going to jump into this. I've broken it down into a few categories just to simplify it. But uh, I say these are nuggets of wisdom, regret, and mistakes as shared by ministers and parents of grown children. So we've broken it up. Let's look at friendships first. We'll just share these points here, maybe talk about them. Check, check, and double check who your children spend the night with. Check, check, and double check who your children spend the night with. Brother Summerall, who of course was kind of my spiritual mentor, though I never met him, I remember him preaching one time and saying he never let his children spend the night at somebody else's house, ever. He said, they had sleepovers at my house. He said, and my boys slept in one room with the door open and their friend, when it was bedtime, slept in the other room with the door open. He said, because I ain't raised in homosexuals. And his boys are all in their 60s now. So this was way back in the 50s in the heartland of Indiana. He had enough insight. My wife and I are discussing this now. We probably will never let our children spend the night at anybody's house, ever. They can come to our house. But most of you, we, I think we grew up in the American culture of sleepovers. All the sin I got exposed to was at sleepovers. My parents were just naive enough, trusting enough. I can tell you all the sin because it's burned here. I, I could tell you where I got exposed to my first everything. It was never really at home. It was always at somebody else's house. And furthermore, we know, and those of you with parents know that when your children hang around other children, uh, you have to spank. I have a new maxim now that says, I don't want to have to spank your child out of mine. I was talking with the Scudders yesterday in Africa, and, uh, or actually it was uh, Friday, and Brett, Brother Brett said, yep. He said, there's been many times Emma and Ethan have come home from sleepovers, and as soon as they get home, we have to start spanking them just to reset them. And it's really a shame. All that hard work you put into your kid, they go to one sleepover and come back and it's an uphill battle for the next three days. 
So one of the things we are praying over Lydia and our girls now is that they are a great influence and they are not influenced. Because my thought is if, if, if at two and a half, somebody can influence my little girl, why can't my little girl influence them back? Amen. Amen. So check, check, and double check who your children spend the night with. And quite in all honesty, uh, the person who shared this with me shared this with me because their child was raped at a sleepover. Spirit-filled, church family, extended family. This, this person, their child was raped at a sleepover. That alone right there would say, no more sleepovers ever. Amen. So let us check, check, and double check. Point number, bullet number two, don't trust your kids. A pastor's wife told me this. <laughs> don't trust your kids. Parents are naive. Anybody here ever been a kid? Were you good at manipulating and lying to mom and dad? Sure you were. And that same sin nature is in your spirit-filled children. Do not trust your kids. We all know how to put on one face in one setting and your kids know how to do the same thing. Your kids know how to sell it to mom and dad. You ought to ask the youth leaders, what's my kid really like? Or the children's church or the toddlers. Really as parents, we ought to always be asking our teachers in school and even in church, how'd my child do? Because I, I really am amazed at how naive parents can be. They think their kid hung the moon. No, 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 your kid wants to eat the moon. Your kid wants to crawl and, and scribble all over the moon. We have to be smarter than this. A pastor's wife told me that. She said, oh, you're writing a lesson. Tell them to not trust their kids. Parents are naive. <laughs> you must control your child's friendships. Amen. That was, that was a pastor's wife. You must control your child's friendships. You, you control who they're friends with. You teach them and teach them and teach them. This is what we look for in friends. This is what we don't look for in friends. This is how we have friendships. This is how we don't have friendships. So you have to do it. A lot of folks I've talked to, their children were, mis were pulled away because of the friends they kept. So we have to, according to this point of wisdom, control your child's friendships. We can't buy into this American culture where children have a will and they have rights. Children don't have rights. They have a right to come home on time. They have a right to eat what I put in front of them. They have a right to do their chores. They don't have freedom. They don't have a right to a door on their bedroom if I don't want them to have a door on their bedroom. And they certainly, they just have now manufactured a cell phone for four-year-olds. I still am amazed at how many of our young children in this church have cell phones. I like to always point out, I didn't get my first cell phone until I was 25 and I made my company pay for it. I was 25 and a professional before I had a cell phone and we made it okay. All the way through the 80s and the 90s without cell phones. Now I, I did borrow my mom's beeper on occasion in Seattle just to walk around to have that pager on your hip, you know? Big old garage door opener. Fourth point, don't be afraid to be in your child's face about their business. Do not be afraid to be in your child's face about their business. Children are children. Are even the federal government does not trust your children yet. Now they're getting to where they do more and more and more and more, but don't be afraid to be in their business. 
You have to be. That's part of parenting. So there's four points on wisdom and regrets for friendships. You control the friends they hang out with. And now with Facebook and everything, you're gonna have to put a tight watch over their, all who they can keep in touch with in private. Text conversations, uh, Facebook conversations, Instagram conversations, all this new stuff. If kids wanna deceive and seduce, now is the best time ever because the technology permits it. You have a right to uh, put a parental control on everything they do. Uh, you have a right, you ought to, if they have cell phones, let them dock their cell phones in the bedroom, your bedroom. They look at computers in front of you. They don't have laptops they take to their bedroom. I would strongly advise against televisions in their bedroom. I would strongly advise against televisions in their bedroom. You and I know how much we deal with temptations and we're grown, adults, mature, seasoned, and married. How much more are 12-year-olds dealing with temptation? 13-year-olds dealing with temptation. You know, nowadays you don't have to go to the store to buy pornography. All you have to have is an iPod with Wi-Fi and you can look at everything that will send you to jail. And what will you do? And I'm just throwing this out there. I'm not trying to prophesy. But what happens if, if for some reason the police find child pornography on your child's iPod? We're talking jail time. And who's gonna be held responsible? Yeah. So you have to watch out for all of this stuff. You have to keep yourself on guard. Parenting is not easy, and perhaps it's the most dangerous time ever to be a parent. Probably the, perhaps the most challenging, but where sin abounds, the grace of God does much more abound. Let's go on to marriages here. Enough on child pornography. That's instant jail time. No excuses, no questions. You just go straight to jail. I, I did tell you, the CEO of my old company, well, I won't tell you his name, it doesn't matter, CEO of an international engineering firm with over a thousand employees around the world. We did the biggest projects in the land just about. We were working on a, I think almost a billion dollar project in Dubai for an island they were building before Dubai imploded in 08. He went to prison for child pornography, federal prison. They came in one day, Mr. Bob, last name starts with a Z and busted his computer, found child pornography on it, and Mr. Bob, CEO of a big engineering firm, is now serving time in a federal prison in Florida. Nobody's immune to this thing. Marriages. Marriages must be united. Children are good at finding weak links and cracks to get what they want. You must be on the same page as husband and wife in raising your children. Discuss in advance what you permit, what they don't permit. Husbands, you know your wives do more parenting than you do when they're little because that's mama. Uh, and so I, for me personally, I say, honey, what, did you tell her she could do this? No, no, sweetie. Mama says you can't do it, you can't do it. Mama, are we letting her do this? No, we're not letting her do that. Okay, I don't know. You know, you have her more time in the day than I do because if it was up to me, I was telling somebody this morning, my daughter would wear pajamas all day long because it's just easier. <laughs> and when Lydia spends the day with me, she always comes home a lot dirtier. And that can just be a trip to Walmart. And how do you get dirty at Walmart? <laughs> well, let me tell you. <laughs> you have to be on the same page. And especially as they grow up and grow older, children have to see mom and dad as a one unit, just as God Almighty sees. He sees husband and wife as one unit. Your children must see the exact same thing. Uh, rebellion is born when children see a hole and a window in parenting. I'll tell off that's Pastor Titus's quote. 
Rebellion is born when children see a hole and a window in parenting. So we want to make sure we are consistent. We tighten up all the holes, all the windows in parenting. Because if they can see a crack, you know they're going to try to grow into it and get what they want. You have to stay tight. You have to be consistent. My wife sometimes, uh, I'll tell the lidster no. And she'll sit there and say, daddy, daddy, daddy. And I can hear my wife say, hold fast, daddy. Hold fast. As in don't give in. Don't give in. Don't give in. A daddy said no. No means no, sweetie. Sometimes we want to give in just out of their shameless persistence. Daddy, 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 mommy, mommy. That hole in that window, they'll learn how to exploit it. You have to be consistent. Being away from home hurts your family. And that means being away from home through travel or work. Somebody shared that with me. They said, you need to let them know that being away from home hurts no matter what. Being away from home hurts no matter what. Now, there are times when we have to be away from home because of travel, because of business, because of whatever may come up. There may come a time, though, in family, in marriage, in parenting, where you have to just weigh the cost and tell your boss, you need to change something or I'm changing jobs. In America, we've been taught for 50 years to live for the career. We've been taught that our worth and our values based upon our income, and our career success. And as Jesus Christ said, why gain the world and lose your soul? Why, I might add, why gain the world and lose your kids? But the, a pastor told me this one, that being away from home hurts the family. Whether that's through personal travel, whether that's for ministry travel, whether that's for business. So you have to be careful not to be away from home. You know, that sometimes jobs require that, but God gave you the children to raise. He didn't give you the children so you can be out of town five days a week. And by out of town, I mean sleepovers out of town in a hotel five days a week. All right, we're quiet on that, but we have been sold a lie that says career is everything. We've been sold a lie that says have a career and, and have kids on the secondary, have kids on the side. That's not what the Bible teaches. Our children come first over our job. Don't get so busy providing for your child physically that you neglect them spiritually. Kind of in the same lines. So getting the same wisdom and the same regrets from different people in multiple states and countries, but we're hearing the same thing over and over again. Don't get so busy providing for your child physically that you neglect them spiritually. We need to make sure that we're spending time with them. More than kids want money or toys, they want time with dad. Your kids have all the toys in the world. You know they'd rather climb all over you. Right? You have kids. They have all the toys in the world. You know they'd rather hang out with you, climb on top of you, pull you, tickle you, they want to be swung. The cheapest toy in the world is dad. <laughs> Amen. So don't get so busy thinking you got to provide for everything that you totally neglect their relationship with you. If you are divorced, don't let your personal feelings or frustration affect your choices for your children. Base everything on the word. Obviously, a divorcee speaking here. If you are divorced, do not let your personal feelings or frustration, we might even say loneliness. Don't let that affect your choices for your children. We have to really hear that, especially in this generation where 50% of all marriages end in divorce, even in the church. You've got to make sure you realize, even if you're a wife and you're a single mother now, the Lord promises to be your husband and the father of your children. That's what God said in the Old Testament. I will be a father to the fatherless. I will be a husband to the widow. 
And so don't go making dumb, lonely decisions that's going to affect your child. Don't be selfish. Selfish. And just think about you, 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 you. Sometimes uh, folks start dating on the rebound and it absolutely hurts their kids. I have friends that are divorced. I know one friend of mine, he was divorced. And I can't tell you how many ladies he dated on the rebound. And how many, how many girlfriends did his kids get attached to? How many kids, how many ladies did his kids get attached to? You date six, eight months at a time. You're bringing them around the house. You got to show the baggage that you've got. Not the kids are baggage, but you know, that's the reality. You're dating me. I should probably tell you I have three kids. That's just only fair. And the kids get attached. Who's this? Well, this is daddy's girlfriend. Is this Sally? No, this is Sarah. What happened to Sally? And God help your kids if all your girlfriends start with S. There was Sari, there, there was Sally, then there was Susan, then there was Stephanie. <laughs> yeah, it's a complicated world. We need to be patient. We need to be complete and content in Christ, especially if we're single raising children. Spirituality, let's move on to our next subject here. Again, we're just covering wisdom and regrets from spirit-filled parents. This being our final lesson in godly parenting for now. But this is just folks who've raised children and looking back over the course and what they would have done differently. I, I appreciate this kind of wisdom. I ask, I'm, I'm honored to be surrounded with great men of God who've been pastoring longer than I've been alive. And I ask them, what would you do? Wisdom, excuse me, experience gives you wisdom. And there perhaps is no such thing as an old fool because they have so much life experience to judge from. Dr. Sumrall used to say, you spend your whole life learning how to handle new experiences. And just about the time you've experienced every experience there is to experience and you've gotten the wisdom for how to handle it, it's time to go home. And he would say, that's how God keeps us humble. Just about the time you've learned the wisdom for every problem you'll ever face, it's time to go home. Because if you learned the wisdom for every experience, you wouldn't need God anymore. So you have one more final promotion into heaven. It's called death. Death is a promotion if you're born again, by the way. And so I like parents who will be willing to share. I raised my kids in church, but I missed these 15 opportunities here, and I wish I hadn't. And I have to hear that as a pastor. I, have to, I love hearing uh, pastors tell me, don't give your heart and soul to your church and lose your kids doing so. I've had pastors tell me, Pastor Chris, you just need to remember it. Every person in your church would quit you in a heartbeat. They would abandon you in a moment's notice and not even tell you bye as they skipped town to go to another church. And yet your wife and children will still be at home waiting for you. I have to hear that kind of stuff to keep me centered. Because I would give you my heart and soul. Paul said he did, but he didn't have a wife or kids either. <laughs> yeah. Spirituality. Moving on now. Teach your children to turn everything over to God. Years ago when I served a youth group in Key West, Florida, it blessed me. I'd never seen it done before. But Pastor White Cotton, he had a little girl who was about four at the time. Every time she'd fall, I was down there for a month. Every time she'd fall and get hurt, she'd run to Pastor PC, uh, PW, Pastor White Cotton, Robert White Cotton, the Assemblies of God Youth Pastor. And she didn't want a kiss for her boo-boo. She said, Daddy, pray. And so we've taught our daughter. Lydia doesn't know to want kisses on boo-boos because when you teach your children to kiss boo-boos, they have faith that kissing boo-boos works. Does kissing boo-boos work? No. No, that's a fairy tale. Does prayer in the name of Jesus, quoting Isaiah 53, 1 Peter 2, 24, and all the gospels, does that heal sickness and disease? Absolutely. I am amazed at how much my daughter can come to me crying with the boo-boo. We pray in the name of Jesus and she's done. 
So I, I learned that from Pastor White Cotton, and that's what we do. We don't even kiss. We don't kiss nothing when it's hurt. And when I break bones, which I haven't done in 10 years, thank God, no kissing fixes broken bones. No, no, I want reality. So teach your children to turn everything over to God. Uh, don't follow the American way of raising children. Teach them the Bible way to be a human being. Pray with your kids. Pray with them, not just for them. I would also add pray for them. Uh, uh, Ken Blunt, Reverend Ken Blunt told me about a year or two ago, we were at our house and we were talking and uh, he was sharing some very critical things. Of course, Reverend Ken Blunt has been around a long time and his, his ministry has always been children's ministry for 35 years now. And of course, what we'd call big wigs, he's, he, was, he grew up with them and ministered with them. And now all the big wigs, their sons are in their 60s and 70s. And he shared this with me. He said, I notice that even the big wigs and their, their sons, there's bitterness there. Because the big wigs became big wigs, but they had to compromise something to become big wigs. And their children are bitter about it now, even though their children are in their 60s and 70s. So he told me, he said, he said young man, he said, God knows you have a daughter now and you can't pray four hours a day. So don't even try. God knows you have a family now and you can't study the Bible eight hours a day. So don't even try. He said, God knows what he's given you and grace covers everything that you're not able to do. So relax, enjoy your family. He knows your prayer is going to be interrupted by your little girl coming in wanting to play Barbie or dress up or doll. And that's all right. And that kind of thing really, really set me free. I know another great man of God, he's in heaven now, but I just recently heard a man I look up to, still honor, but he's in heaven. They said basically his wife raised his kids so that he could read the Bible through every month. Before he died, he estimated he'd read the entire Bible over 800 times, reading it through once a month. That's 12 times a year. So you read the Bible 12 times a year. How many times are you reading it to read it 800 times? More than 80 years worth. But that, to do that, his testimony became his wife raised the kids. I've never heard of his kids being in the ministry or serving God. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But he's not known. I don't know who his kids even are. It's not like Reverend Billy Graham and Franklin Graham and Ann Graham Lotz. It's not any kind of success story like that. The point is, you have to teach your children to walk with God. You have to pray with them, not just pray for them. Include them in what you're doing. I was praying yesterday morning and Lydia came into my prayer closet and I, she said, I, I pray. I said, all right. So I just let her sit in my lap and I just held her and I just continued praying until she got bored, which two-year-olds do. And then she went on and I continued praying. You include your kids in what you're doing. That's how they catch your vision. You include them in everything you're doing. You, you make a way to include them in how you serve God. Teach your children to stand on their own faith. Don't just do everything for them. Teach them how to work through things. Teach them how to pray. Teach them how to believe God for their, what they're having need of. My wife, when she goes and runs with Lydia in the stroller and Lydia sees a doggy, she says, I see another doggy. And mama says, all right, let's pray and ask Jesus for you to see another doggy because I can't make another doggy appear. And so Lydia prays, I see doggy, because she wants to see another doggy. That's something little with a two-year-old. How about when your kid's 13 or 14? They want a car. Teach them to pray and believe God for the need. College money, teach them to believe God for the need. We, if we don't impart into our children the things we've been taught, 
how far behind will they be? We came into the things of God because there was something in our heart that said, I'm hungry for God. But if we don't teach our children to be hungry for God and if they don't catch things from us, they may never be interested in God. It is possible to be for hungry for God and your kids never catch it. We don't want that to be the case in our lives. Pray for your child's future spouse from the moment they are conceived, your child. I would add and pray that they marry a woman or a man of God. I don't pray that my kids marry Christians. Just because you're a Christian doesn't make you a man of God. Just because you're a Christian doesn't make you a woman of God. So I don't pray that my daughters marry a man of God. I mean, a Christian. I pray that my daughters marry a man of God and that we get to disciple their husbands and their husbands trust us and then they all serve us in the ministry. I'm claiming everything because I don't, I don't want to ever send them off to go serve somebody I don't know. Your children must catch your vision. They must. So you pray that, that they catch our vision, how we serve God, how we live our life. Pray that. You can't just hope and wish this and send them off to school. You got to pray these things. Don't assume that just because you take your child to church that they will be okay. Amen. Just like that's assuming you drop your kids off at school, they're going to get smart. You drop them off at gymnastics, they're going to get good. You drop them off at the pool, they're not going to drown. You can't just drop them off anywhere and hope for the best. You have to actively engage. Have you noticed children are an inconvenience? And children are a lot of work. And children change the landscape of your life forever. And that's why we have children. Let's see here. Don't allow your child to choose where they go to church. You are the parent. God speaks to you to lead the family. A lot of folks now, they actually change churches to find the big church with the big children's group. With, with the cl colorful classrooms. And I'm not against big children's groups. I'm not against colorful classrooms. The big playground. I'm not against cool playgrounds. Uh, I, th that's great. But if that's how you're being led for church, you're out of the will of God. And I also further believe a church should not use that as a marketing tool, which some churches do. That's manipulation. They're playing on the gross ignorance of Christians. They know if we have the biggest youth group, all the parents with youth will come here. Because we, we if we have the most technologically advanced children's department, we'll draw all the parents here who have kids. That's marketing. We don't grow the church on marketing. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a nice youth group or a nice children's group, but you don't let your children choose where you guys go to church. You have to let the Holy Spirit lead you as the father or lead you as the single mother where we're going to be. When I served Pastor Darren years ago as a youth leader, he complained to me so many times. He said, if I had a dollar... Or literally, I think he said, if I had a youth for every time a family visited our young growing church, we were about 50 people at the time as a church plant. And they said, you know what? We love this church. We know we're called to be here. And we love the preaching. And we know this is where God would have us. But you don't have a youth group. And we have youth. Therefore, we're going to this big church for our youth sake. We're going to make the sacrifice for our children. And Pastor Darren would always say, no, you're sacrificing your children. He said, if every one of those families would have stuck around, we'd have a youth group of 25 or 50 by now. But they were all being led by sight. And that's why you, you don't let your children choose where they go to church or where you go to church. You lead. You're the parent. God doesn't trust your kids. That's why they're not supposed to raise themselves. God trusts you. You're the one that's walked with God longer than they've been alive. God's not going to speak to your kids about such things. 
Just like mac and cheese and chicken nuggets are the victor's meal. If you allow your children to pick what they eat, you'll allow them to pick everything in their life. They may just pick hell when they grow up. Yeah. Don't allow your children to choose where they go to church. You are the parent. God speaks to you to lead the family. Amen. Do not make excuses for whatever your mistake is, this person adds. Repent and get back at it when you miss it with your kids. You should repent to your kids if you've sinned against them. Honey, I'm so sorry. Forgive daddy. Do you forgive daddy? I shouldn't have talked to you that way. I lost my temper. I lost my cool. I was wrong there. Would you please forgive me? You all, if you sin against somebody, the proper thing is to repent. You repent to your spouse. You repent to your boss. You repent to your God. If you sin against your six-year-old, you should repent to them. There's nothing wrong with that. If I sin against you as a pastor, I'm going to repent to you. I made a mistake, church. Forgive me. I didn't mean to. wasn't intentionally doing it, but I was wrong. That's what we do as mature people. Uh, I add this one. I think I added this in, in juxtaposition to the previous point. Previously, someone said, your children must catch your vision. I add, your children will catch your vision. That can be a good thing. That can be a bad thing. Notice I, in your own life, dirty, bad visions are often easier to catch than high, clean standard of a vision. So, one man of God, actually a woman of God said, your children must catch your vision. And then I would also add on the flip side, your children will catch your vision. Just like Proverbs says, rebuke a fool and you get a block eye. Don't rebuke a fool. <laughs> it, you know, it's, why do you contradict yourself? Well, because you have to judge it by the situation. Sometimes you rebuke a fool. Sometimes you don't rebuke a fool. Your children must catch your vision. Your children will catch your vision. But often, if you don't put the God-fearing vision in them, the vision they catch is all that lazy stuff you still haven't dealt with. The attitude, the sass, the selfishness, whatever the thing is. So both are true. Make sure they catch the vision you're shooting for and not the vision you're actively walking out and still fixing. Training. Let's move on to training here. Just one, actually two more sections. Are we learning anything? Yeah. I appreciate, I'm a young parent, I appreciate this wisdom. This is the kind of stuff you have to constantly recalibrate your life with. We're, the whole Christian walk is all about keeping it in between the ditches. And you know, when you drive, you're making a thousand adjustments between here and Walmart. But you know how to, so you don't even, it's not even hard. If we can be taught that in parenting, there's a thousand adjustments to be made every day, every week, it won't be grievous. You, and you know how if something happens, you don't jerk the wheel at 60 miles an hour. You slowly make the adjustment. You know how to apply the brakes. You know how to get back in between the lines. You know, if you're distracted and you hit the rumble strips, you don't jerk back into the middle of the interstate. You slowly come off the rumble strips. If we can be taught these things and hear these things and hear these things, we can slowly make the adjustment without throwing anybody off the van, flipping the car, rolling the car, or having some kind of severe blowout. So now we have a section called training. Parenting is the only season you get to equip your child for life. If you don't equip them, someone or something else will. Parenting is the only season, when they're in your home, from one day old to 18 in college, it's the only season you get to equip them. After 18 years, they ought to be experts on life. You do anything for 18 years, you'll be good at it. You do martial arts for 18 years, you'll be a fifth degree baddie. You shoot guns for 18 years. You're going to be a tremendous marksman. If you, uh, if you do cooking for 18 years, you're going to be an amazing chef. Now, this is, of course, assuming you're learning right and you're practicing. 
and you're being trained in it. You can claim to do something for 18 years and after 18 years, nobody can tell you did it for 18 years. Is that right? Yeah. So you, as a parent, your job is to train your child and to parent them for 18 years. And if you do it right, after 18 years, your child should be an expert on the things of life and be ready for big people world. Now, one of the things I tell you that I've learned as a pastor is that 45-year-olds are just like 15-year-olds, but with older bodies. Amen. And most of us who are older, we would acknowledge we don't feel our age. We feel like we're 20 or 25. Some of us still think like we're 16. Literally, we think in here like we're 16. What we have to do for 18 years is train our children for every scenario, every situation of life. It's the only time you as a parent control everything. The second they move out, whether to get married or go to college, whatever their life choice is, you no longer parent them. Not like you did 24-7 for those 18 years. Amen. So when you release your child, they are a product, 110% of your hand upon their life or sometimes painfully, your lack of hand upon their life or too soft of a hand upon their life or too strict of a hand. But there's no denying it. There's no way of escaping it. After 18 years of living under your roof, they are 110% your fault. They're not the president's fault. They're not the school teacher's fault. Whatever's there is there because you permitted it or because you disciplined it out of them or into them. That's all there is to it. So I can't remember who gave me this, but I, that's a brilliant line. Parenting is the only season. That actually might be a Reverend Ken Blunt quote. I don't know for sure. Parenting is the only season you get to equip your child for life. If you don't equip them, someone or something else will. Don't let television equip your children. I was talking with Brother Chad this morning. He said, I've told our family 30 minutes of cartoons at the most and turn it off. He told me, he said, I don't like the way it mesmerizes my kids. And he said this, and I, I don't know if you appreciate me quoting him. He said, I don't, he said, it's tempting when you got a hundred other things to do just to sit them in front of a television and be mesmerized. And I said, tell me about it. Yeah. Sometimes at home, we're like, we say, what video will keep her busy for the next hour so we can get seven things done? But if that's the case, we're not equipping them Nickelodeon is, Sesame Street is, Dora is. That may not be a bad thing in doses, but if you want to know why your kid is the way they is, you have to go back and see who has the bulk of their time, who has the bulk of their eyes, their ears, and their emotions. Amen. I didn't say parenting was easy. Yeah, 7 billion people on the planet and most of them hate God. Don't forget you are to control your children's eating habits. Teach them to care for their bodies. There was that story a couple years ago where the government actually took away a girl because her parents let her get, I want to say 200 pounds. She was eight years old, almost 200 pounds. She couldn't even walk. It's on YouTube. You can follow the story. She couldn't even walk. She literally did the splits and writhed from kitchen to bath. That's how obese she was. The government, the judge came in and said, you're a bad parent. And you've got a problem when the judge judges you and says, you're a bad parent. You've allowed this child to eat anything she wants to the tune of a 200-pound obese eight-year-old. No neck, no hands, I mean, just marshmallow. And the judge ordered mother into parental training classes over appetite. 
Now, we're not putting anybody down with this statement, but hear the truth here. America is the most obese nation on the planet, and it makes sense that our children would be the most obese children on the planet because habits and appetites are taught and learned. Healthy parents have healthy children. Lazy parents have lazy children. Ezekiel says, as goes the mother, so goes her daughter. So this person, I don't remember who this was, they said, don't forget, you must teach your children or to teach your children's eating habits. You control them. If we say anything more than that, we'll offend people. Teach them to care for their bodies. Teach your child that they smell like B.O. And this is how you fix B.O. Teach your child, honey, your breath smells bad. Let us fix it. You brush your teeth. Wives tell your husbands when their breath stinks. Husbands tell your wives when their breath stinks. And parents tell your kids when their breath stinks. Let's, let's make the world a better place. <laughs> Be a role model for your child in everything. Be a role model for your child in everything. With little kids, you see, they want to help do everything you do, they want to do. They want to help clean the toilet. They want to help clean the bath. They want to help vacuum. They want to help carry this. They want to help push that. Let them. Let them catch your vision. Teach them what's important. We have lost it in this nation. We think we are to serve our children. Almost every other culture around the country realizes children are servants. Even the book of Proverbs acknowledges that fact. We have made children our princesses and we are the paupers that cater to our children. Be a role model for them. Teach them that life is all about work. And that if you're going to get ahead in life, it takes work. And that a lot of parents have done a tremendous disservice to their children, teaching them how to be catered to their whole life. So that when they hit college, they expect the professor to cater to them. Yeah. So be a role model to your child and everything. Do not hold your children to standards on things that are not important. Whatever that may be. Uh, you know, I, somebody shared that with me and I could see that. We might say it this way. Major on the majors and minor on the minors. Major on the majors and minor on the minors. Some parents are so brutally tough on their kids when it comes to football, but they don't teach their children how to study the Bible. All right, I'm all for keeping a commitment. You're not gonna quit the football team until the season's over because we're not quitters. But don't, well, actually, here's an example. We were just out in Iowa visiting with pastors and we got to go to one of the pastors, their kids wrestling match. And we saw a kid get beat because in every wrestling match, somebody wins, somebody loses. And we saw, I didn't know what to think of it because I'm not part of the wrestling culture. Apparently, it's the biggest sport in Iowa. It's where all the uh, Olympic wrestlers come out of, by the way, and, and NCAA state championships, whatever. So we're talking four-year-olds up to 10-year-olds. That's this wrestling age group. So this six or seven-year-old just gets his little hind end handed to him. It's wrestling. His dad apparently was a former great wrestler. So when the kid comes off the mat, his dad rushes down there slaps him in the head a couple times, tells him, and you can tell he's yelling at him. It's packed in there. He's yelling at him, telling him, you know, showing him, get me. This is how you get out of this move. Do it again. And just, and totally humiliated in front of the whole crowd. It was tense. This guy behind me stands up and starts screaming at that dad and says, you and me, buddy, we'll take it to the parking lot now. You don't, and he just starts berating this dad in front of the whole uh, audience there and says, we don't do that to our kids. And I'm going, oh my, wow. That would be a good example of majoring on the minors. Now, does the guy, does, and I, that guy's passionate. He doesn't want his kid to lose. I understand that, but you don't beat the kid up and humiliate him after he just lost. 
You tell them, son, we'll, we'll practice that. We'll do better next time. Let's watch that video over and over again, see how you got beat. You don't humiliate him in front of everybody. But the question is, does he do that with your Bible lessons? Did, did, why didn't you quote all 66 books of the Bible? You reckon that's important to that kind of dad? No, you're not gonna slap your kid for not being able to quote 66 books of the Bible. You can't quote all 66 books of the Bible. That's an example of majoring on the minors and totally neglecting the majors. So that's what one person has there. Don't shortchange your children, invest in them. That doesn't mean you take them to every sport under the sun. Invest in them, spend time with them. Teach them trees, teach them animals, teach them, put, spend time with them. In this day and age, the society robs us of time and our kids are the ones that get shortchanged. In this day and age, society and our culture will always rob us of time and it's our kid that gets shortchanged. When's the last time you told Pharaoh, like Dolly Parton said, take this job and shove it? That wasn't Dolly Parton. That was working nine to five. Who was that? Conway Twitty. Who was saying take this job and shove it? Johnny Paycheck? He didn't get a paycheck. But when's the last time you told Pharaoh, take this job and shove it? Because it's not worth it to me. But you will tell your children, I don't have time. I don't have time. Daddy doesn't have time. When's the last time you told your boss, I'm sorry, sir. I appreciate the paycheck, but I don't have time for you. I have a child at home growing. I have a wife who's been neglected. You don't own me. When's the last time you did that? You tell your kid all the time, maybe. You tell your wife all the time, perhaps. When's the last time we told Pharaoh, stuff it? I'm not saying every time he asks you to do something, but if this is the lifestyle and he owns you, you will successfully go to heaven and your child may not. And you did it for a paycheck because you let Pharaoh own you. Yeah, don't shortchange your children, invest in them. You only get them for 18 years, then they're gone. Don't forget you're raising up children to leave you, not stay. Don't forget you're raising up your children to leave you. That's the successful parent. If they're 35 and living at home, something failed. If you're still bailing them out after so many years, something failed. You must raise up your children to successfully leave you. The book of Proverbs tells us that they are arrows in our quiver. An arrow doesn't stay in the quiver. The master uh, archer crafts his own arrows. He balances them. He weighs them. He, he fletches them. Also, he can release them at the target. And if you raise your child to be crooked, to be unbalanced, when you go to release them in life, they won't go anywhere. And if after 35, they're still in your quiver, Something's weird in the basement apartment of your house. No, miscellaneous, we're running out of time here. Reject any parenting counsel that doesn't come from the Bible, regardless of who it may be coming from. Not Dr. Phil, not Queen Oprah, not anybody on Christian television because they don't know what they're doing. If it doesn't come from the Bible, reject it. Regardless, even if it comes from my mouth, your favorite preacher's mouth, your grandmother's mouth, your mama's mouth, if it isn't biblical, toss it out. We want the Bible. The problem with this nation is we've walked away from the Bible and we've let everything else in. Motivational positivity, psychology, and weirdness. We need the Bible. If you've a grown child in rebellion, cut them off completely, as well as anyone who is supporting them, regardless of the cost. Your walk with God is more important and the example you set may just be what they need to see. Obviously, someone wrote that speaking from experience. If you have a grown child in rebellion, cut them off. Why are you financing them? God will judge you for how you spend his money. You would not invest in pornography. 
You would not invest in a nudie bar. You would not invest in a liquor store. Why would you invest in a rebellious child? But parents do it because of emotions. Your child should feel safe around you, not threatened. Your child should feel safe around you, not threatened. Amen. They, if you tell them to come to you, they shouldn't, they shouldn't uh, flinch. They shouldn't, you know, uh, like a whipped dog. Even if you spank your child, which you should, they should know to come to you, I'm gonna be spanked. Daddy loves me, mommy loves me. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry too, honey, but I have to spank you. I told you I would and you disobeyed me. And swat them on the bottom. They should feel safe and not threatened. Whatever that means for you, wherever you may be. May God help us as parents to raise up godly children that will glorify him. Christians should not be raising up heathen. Christians should never raise up heathen. Christians, if we do this thing right, we'll raise up a generation of Christians stronger than us. That's our job. Should not be any other way. As much as God has invested in us, he's expecting us to put it that much quickly into our children so that when we pass away, we leave the earth to children who are full of God. As we taught in the very first lesson, the whole purpose for children, according to Genesis chapter two and three, is so that God might have a generation that can inhabit, dominate, have dominion and inherit the earth. That's God's reason. He told Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, have dominion and subject, subdue the earth. That's our job, to raise up a generation of kids that can take over the gospel work once we're gone. There's all the fun and enjoyment during that, but when we're all said and done, we ought to be raising up kids that are stronger Christians than us. Amen? Let's bow our heads here and pray. We're out of time. Father, we thank you for Sunday school this morning. We thank you for allowing us to teach on godly parenting for five weeks. Father, I pray that these lessons will help us, strengthen us, encourage us, that we would not lose any more children to the world, to the flesh, to the devil, to our jail system, to a shrink, to a psychologist. I thank you, Father, that by the word of God and the spirit of God, we can do these things and raise up children to glorify you. Father, may we have a generation of children under us that do greater things than the world has ever seen. Father, bless us, help us as parents in Jesus' name, amen.